0: Spoiler alert, everyone in this podcast is dead.
1: I don't usually like seltzer water. Usually it's because they just taste like essence of ass.
0: (laughs) You better record this out.
1: (laughs) I love this out. I'm just not from this out. And you are definitely from this out. I'm
0: from the South. Southern born, Southern bred. And when I die, I'm Southern dead. Get comfortable. There's a pillow there. I have blankets if you need them
1: i really know nothing about what zach has prepared
0: hide your children don't play the at work.
1: well <laughs> you can be a victim if you are murdered are we ready yeah we're ready <laughs> okay, back
0: we're back. ready to learn Here. about
1: all the spirits and God! <laughs> <laughs>
0: I love that the cat's out of the bag about how we drink during our podcast. I thought that was going to be a secret between you and me, but Janae has let the world know oh, yeah. <laughs> that we're drinking. I mean, we've
1: talked about bidets. We've talked about all the things. No
0: subject has been unexplored.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and, and now I you think. know.
0: We've un- we're under the influence slightly. hmm Also, Janae and I had a little disagreements, too strong of a word. We'll say difference of opinion.
1: Ooh. I don't remember with this. What is this?
0: Janae thinks that I have a southern accent. Oh
1: god. Sometimes
0: <laughs> I really don't think I do. What
1: were you trying to you were saying something earlier, I forget what you were actually saying. But I was <laughs> like that was the southernest thing.
0: I really Okay, but you're from Oregon. So maybe you just, because you're not from here, it sounds really Southern.
1: Well, Zach thinks that I'm fancy pants.
0: <laughs> you're super fancy pants.
1: <laughs> just because I say the word foyer.
0: Oh my God. It's a foyer. The foyer. It's a foyer. I'm getting the foyer. <laughs> Welcome to my foyer. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't think I have a Southern accent. Maybe we'll put a poll on our Insta to see if our listeners think I have a southern accent.
1: I Now I would say I would vote that you do not have a southern accent. You just
0: said I have a southern accent. I don't accent. think that
1: you have a southern accent most of the time.
0: But every once in a while so, it comes out. Interesting. So once I threaten a poll on our Instagram because oh, you know how the results are going to come back, now you're backtracking uh, and think I don't have a southern accent. You're
1: turning me into a villain. Very interesting. Well I think you it comes out sometimes but it's more your idioms. It's mm. not the actual Words. it's not like hey y'all how are you doing or <laughs> the whatever that was like a weird cockney thing
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely not cockney we're not selling flowers in the market like Eliza Doolittle.
1: <laughs> hey governor
0: <laughs> top of the morning governor she's like a bouquet of flowers. Be-be-be-be.
1: No but I do sorry think- to any of
0: our English listeners. By the way we don't have English listeners but well, sorry if you are one.
1: The fact that Zach had to literally define to multiple people what tinter hooks Mend.
0: Oh my god, this again?
1: Yes, because it was an idiom oh, that we, god, none of okay. us fucking understood. We were sitting
0: at lunch and I was very interested in something and I said, oh my god, I'm like on tenterhooks. I think we were talking about reality TV. Let's just be honest. We were talking about reality television because that's all <laughs> we talk about at lunch. That's the only thing I watch. is the only thing that really gets me passionate. I'm really excited about reality television. By the way, the trashier the better. We were talking about probably Bachelor in Paradise, <laughs> I'm assuming. And I was saying, I'm like on tenterhooks to figure out like how this ends. And I Everyone looks at me like what are you talking about? What is hooks?" No one knew. Multiple southern people at that table, Ugh.
1: all from Atlanta.
0: I will say you're right that I do use y'all a lot. Yeah. But that's just Y'all a, is very helpful. It's functional. I use y'all. Right. It makes sense. What I also a,
1: say like certain things southern style it's like, like style
0: style style
1: and wow like i while. just can't help it's it been now a while
0: since you had some style
1: yeah but growing up i would have said it's been a while since i've had some <laughs> style and clearly in this freaking when i'm editing these podcasts spoiler alert i edit the podcasts so sorry <laughs> you know i haven't figured out the volume yet but i can You're edit. doing a great job <laughs> We're working on it. But my thing is, and this is a very common thing for the West Coast, is using like. Oh, yeah. I use like all the time as like a placeholder. Or hella.
0: Isn't that a West Coast oh, thing? Oh, I,
1: I don't know if I say hella a lot, but I do use hella.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, are y'all ready for our, <laughs> our dead Atlanta this We're week? We're
1: ready.
0: We're ready. It's been a while. We're
1: ready for our... I've <laughs> been doing this in an accent because I got I to gotta choose one again.
0: Are you on tinderhooks? <laughs> Waiting for our dead Atlanta this week? Are we ready? I am ready. Okay. I am ready. Here we go. <laughs> our dead Atlanta this week is named Alonzo Herndon.
1: Ooh, yeah. I like the name.
0: Great name. Unless
1: this person's evil, then I don't.
0: <laughs> Great news and spoiler, I guess. He's not evil. <laughs> Yeah. Also, I have to say, he didn't murder anyone, and he wasn't murdered.
1: (laughs) This is maybe new?
0: Yeah, which is great. For our past two episodes, we've talked a lot about murder.
1: I'm not mad at that. I do get a kick out of true crime. Weirdly... I get freaked out by horror films. I am okay with True Crime. Yeah.
0: So, same. And also, you may be relieved to know we're not talking about murder. We're not doing anything (laughs) gory. No violence. Just a really, really interesting Dead Atlanta. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar at all with Alonzo Herndon? No. So, he is known, most notable, for being the first black millionaire in Atlanta. Oh, cool. Yeah. The very first black millionaire. And at the time when he was living, one of the very few black millionaires in America.
1: When was he living?
0: This was the 1800s. Well, it was mid-1800s to early 1900s. Wow. Alonso was born into slavery Mm -hmm. in 1858. In Walton County, Georgia. Not that far from Atlanta. Well, not that far today. (laughs) Back when he was born, I'm sure it was quite a distance. So it's about two counties over to the east. His mother was enslaved by a slave owner named Frank Herndon. He was a wealthy planter. He had about 25 slaves who lived on this plantation with him. Alonzo's mother was one of them, and Alonzo was born on this plantation, Frank Herndon's plantation, as an enslaved person. Alonzo and his family were emancipated in 1865, of course, when he was just seven years old. So the family set up their life and social circle, which is about an hour east of Atlanta. So again, back then, a very long distance. Today, just an hour in the car. They were living in abject poverty. There just really wasn't any career opportunities because they were Black. So Alonzo, as he was growing up in social circle, he just kind of had these, you know, odd jobs as a laborer. His family were kind of sharecroppers, they were farming here and there, and he was just picking up odd labor jobs to help bring some money into the family. So in 1878, when Alonzo was 20 years old, he left social circle, and he settled in Senoia, Georgia, which today is about 40 minutes south of Atlanta in Coweta County. Okay. When he got to Sonoya, he only had $11. That's it. And basically no formal education. I think he had a one year of education, and <laughs> that's pretty much it.
1: And he was by himself at that yeah, point, Yeah, he was right? by himself,
0: essentially no money, virtually no education, just picking up from scratch. When he settled at 20 years old in Sanoya, he learned how to become a barber. And I think that this choice was very specific for Alonzo. I think he chose to become a barber because back then, well, and today, really, it was seen as a very stable, respectable, and really even a somewhat lucrative profession for black men at the time. Hmm. One of the reasons it was considered to be a quote, you know, respectable job was because back then, prominent, wealthy, the white men almost exclusively used black barbers.
1: Huh. I wonder why.
0: I don't know. It probably came out of this, this really racist idea of black people being, quote, the help. Oh. And being able to, you know, quote, train black mm-hmm. people to help them. I think it stemmed out of that. I see. And I think that they, white men, recognized early on that black men were really 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 good at it -hmm. (laughs) so Mm -hmm. it became a thing where really wealthy prominent white men in society would exclusively go to a black barber and of course we know today that these black men probably could have been doctors and lawyers businessmen etc but they were kind of relegated to barber like here's your option yeah that's the option if you're good at it you can make a living and that's it So Alonzo really saw this as his chance to make a solid living and to set himself up for success. Eventually, he made his way over to Jonesboro, which is a suburb of Atlanta. Back then, it was kind of a rural town. Now it's a suburb. He made his way to Jonesboro, Georgia, and he opened up his own barbershop, which was a risk. And the risk paid off. His barbershop really took off. Alonso was great at his job, and the shop just became a really huge success.
1: Do we know kind of what clientele was in Jonesboro? Like, what the people did?
0: I don't know what they did in Jonesboro, but... He did, based on his success in Jonesboro, he opened up three shops in Atlanta. Holy smokes! Yeah. And these men were really wealthy, prominent members of society in Atlanta. So these were the doctors, they were the lawyers, they were the businessmen, the legislators, the judges. These men were the ones who were coming in to patronize these three barbershops mm-hmm. in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And his flagstone store was on Peachtree Street. And it was huge. Pausing there for yeah. a second. Mm-hmm.
1: Peachtree freaking street is <laughs> freaking everywhere. It is the most frustrating thing.
0: Oh, you're so right.
1: It is... Everything is Peachtree.
0: Everything's Peachtree, you're right. Peachtree Road, Peachtree Drive, Peachtree Place, Peachtree Circle, everything. Oh,
1: so (laughs) if you ever want to come to Atlanta, you're not in Atlanta, and you're like, oh, I know it's on Peachtree Road. Well, good luck. Yeah, good
0: luck. Also, make sure if you're in Midtown, don't confuse Peachtree with West Peachtree. So his main store was on 66 Peachtree Street downtown and it was really luxurious. I've looked at pictures of it in the archives and it's very, very high-end. It's very nice. There's these beautiful leather chairs, these amazingly intricate and ornate beautiful woodwork paneling. It just looks very high-end, very polished, which you know makes sense given who his clientele is, right? It's these really wealthy men who are coming in and he wanted to cater to that and the pictures are fascinating. It just looks like this really high, almost like a spa. It's <laughs> not just a barbershop, but like a full spa experience, or at least as close as you can get.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> the Atlanta Constitution at the time called it, quote, the finest and largest Barbershop in the world. Ooh. <laughs> now, who knows if that was true? Like, I don't know how right. they verified that, <laughs> but that's what they claimed.
1: <laughs> Number one, I've always been jealous of like the hot shave, like, you know, in the mm, that's the... a great experience. Have you had one? Yeah,
0: I do have to say it's really nerve wracking, though. You've got to really trust your barber
1: that they won't like nick you.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, you got to place faith in them because you're just standing there and they have this really sharp knife <laughs> right at your aorta. Wait, <laughs> jugular, jugular. <Yeah. laughs> Your life is in their hands.
1: (laughs) If I ever was a man, I would probably be a very dapper man. I can see myself doing lots of cool facial hair. I can see that. Oh, yeah. All the pomades, all the waxes. But Lord knows if I would even be able to grow four hairs out of my face.
0: I think you'd make a very handsome man. Thank
1: you. (laughs) I think I would, too. Okay, this
0: is the part where you say I'd make a lovely lady. Oh, (laughs) You would make
1: a stunning bride and a stunning lady.
0: Okay, moving on. I don't know how (laughs) we got the bride, but thank you. Back to Alonzo. His business really took off. If you were a wealthy, prominent white man in Atlanta in the late 1800s slash early 1900s, you got your hair done at Alonzo's shop. Point blank, period. You especially go to his main store at 66 Peachtree Street. Street. So this was very lucrative for Alonso. He discovered that he could make a lot of money, but not only that, that he wanted to expand his business empire so he actually used the money he got from being a barber to start a life insurance company
1: that is a very different path it's
0: very different but I think that speaks to his entrepreneurial mindset Alonzo started dabbling in the insurance industry in 1905 and he just really kept at it he was a really hardcore entrepreneur he had great business acumen and by 1922 he had founded the Atlanta Life Insurance company. This company proved to be very successful. It became one of just five insurance companies in the whole country to be owned by Black people that achieved legal status. It was just hugely successful. It was actually the most successful Black owned insurance business in America, and they expanded to several other Southern states.
1: Atlanta stepping up.
0: Yeah. What's that phrase? Atlanta influences everything. Yeah. So he, Alonzo, proved himself to be really one of the most keen and successful businessmen, really, in Atlanta's history. This is one of my favorite parts of the story. He built a beautiful home called the Herndon House. That's in Vine City, kind of northwest area, close to Georgia Tech. It's right across the street from Morris Brown University.
1: When he built that, was mm-hmm. the university there already? Mm-hmm. Was it part of Atlanta? Yeah. Like Vine City, like... What was the situation? Yeah.
0: So there were other houses there. Atlanta University, which later became Clark Atlanta University, was there. So it wasn't, you know, out in the woods. It wasn't rural. It was very much in town. And he built this beautiful classical revival mansion. It was a very stately home. It looked very elegant. looked very Southern. Oh, actually, I just texted you a picture of this beautiful house. It's
1: beautiful. It's very square. Lots of columns. So one two three four five six columns in the front. It looks like a Mm two-story, at least, two-story house, balcony on the second story. What are those windows called where they have the round tops? Oh, yeah. I don't know what you call that. It looks like there's a balcony on the second floor, but then on the very top, like you go out on the top and also be on a balcony up there, too. All brick. It's really beautiful.
0: Mm -hmm. Big walkway. So this house was built in 1910, and great news, it still exists today. So now, it is a National Historic Landmark, and it serves as a museum to tell Alonzo's story.
1: Oh, so it's dedicated to specifically his story.
0: Yes. He built this house for his wife, well... Of course, himself, but also for his wife and their son. So his wife was Adrienne McNeil Herndon, who, by the way, is a prominent dead Atlantan in her own right. Oh, cool. Yeah, not just being married to Alonzo, but she was actually a prominent actress and theater professor in Atlanta.
1: Oh, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. She, Adrian was born in Savannah, and she had formal training in theater acting. She graduated from the Boston School of Dramatic Arts... And from the American Academy of Dramatic Arts in New York, she eventually made her way down to Atlanta, and she became the very first, what they called, Director of Dramatics at Atlanta University in 1895.
1: That sounds incredible, because director for yeah. a woman?
0: Yeah. at the t- Isn't that crazy? That's wrong. Well, not just a woman, a black woman.
1: Oh, awesome.
0: So they got married in 1894, Alonzo and Atrium, the year before she joined the faculty as the Director of Dramatics, she really played a very significant role in designing and furnishing the Herndon home. All of the interior decorating was her design. But not just that, she also was really integral in the architectural design. So she really had a heavy hand in this design.
1: So they built it from the ground up, like they designed the actual yeah,
0: They designed everything okay. from the ground up. Unfortunately, bad news here, she died right after it was finished.
1: No, her That's so frustrating. Yeah,
0: so they moved in in January 1910 and she died in April in 1910. Of what? Addison's disease. Yeah, it's a very rare hormone disorder, so it makes it even more unfortunate. A rare disease. She only got to enjoy her home for four months. Did she know she had this? I don't know. I'm not really sure if she knew she was sick. But it's not all bad news. It's not all sad news. So Adrian and Alonzo had a son- norris herndon
1: norris <laughs> do you like that name <laughs> no
0: <laughs> i don't either it's a choice it's a choice
1: it's like i'm gonna be truthful <laughs> i do not i'm
0: not a huge fan sorry uh, to
1: any Norrises listening <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: sorry if you're a norris yeah. um good news norris was great bad name great person norris like both of his parents became a very successful adult He attended Atlanta University and then graduated with an MBA from Harvard Business School. There were only two black people in his graduating class at Harvard.
1: Him and one other person. Him
0: and one other person. That was Mm -hmm. it. After he graduated in Boston, he came back to Atlanta and he started working in his dad's insurance company. Eventually, he took over the reins, and he greatly expanded the company. And it really became somewhat of an insurance empire throughout the Southeast once Norris took over. When he did take over the company from his dad in 1927, it was worth about $1 million. Oh
1: my god. In that money?
0: Yeah, in, that, in 1927 dollars. So it was Ooh. a huge success already. Holy moly. But then when Norris retired in 1973, get this, it was worth about $85 million. Holy yeah. So Alonzo, the dad, made it a success. Right? He set it up as a, as a success but then when Norris became the president he really just made it take off exponentially. And not just that, he was a great businessman but he was also a noted philanthropist in Atlanta during his time. He was particularly passionate about funding the civil rights movement, the efforts in the 1950s and mm-hmm. 60s. In particular, he gave a lot of money to the NAACP. Mm-hmm. But he was really more of a behind-the-scenes guy. So he wasn't really up front making speeches. He was behind the scenes writing the checks and funding the movement. He also gave money to Black local universities. In particular, he financed the construction of the Herndon Stadium at Atlanta University, which of course became their athletic facility. Aptly named, right? And I personally feel this connection and a draw to Norris because he was notoriously reclusive. <laughs>
1: you're like oh yay another person like me yeah
0: another hermit another recluse (laughs) um we're basically the same person except I'm not rich (laughs) Mm -hmm. he really didn't go out in public he really stayed at home and he kind of had this reputation in Atlanta for being very mysterious for being a loner for being very elusive
1: that makes me wonder how he made such a successful businessman
0: Ebony Magazine called him in the 1950s (laughs) quote the millionaire nobody knows (laughs) (laughs) quote he's available to a select group of intimates and executives Mm -hmm. who guard his whereabouts with the passion of secret servicemen protecting the president. Hmm. So he was very elusive, very mysterious, rich, hermit, love it. That's like my life goal to Mm -hmm. be Norris. He sounds great. Here's really where I feel drawn to him—not just the reclusive part, but this part here I'm about to share. Despite being really handsome, despite being really prominent in society, and of course, despite being very wealthy, Norris never married. He was Interesting. A, he was a lifelong bachelor. And not just that—it's not only that he was never married; he was never connected to any women at all. He I never. I was going
1: to ask: Did he date? No,
0: he never had any girlfriends ever.
1: Do we think that he was gay?
0: Well, there you go. Okay. You're Nancy Drew. Yeah. No. <laughs> Nail on the head. So it was a well-known fact that Norris was a very private gay man. And he was never, quote, out. Okay. Right? Well, what we would call out. Mm -hmm. Right? We can't... This kid's going down a rabbit hole, but basically we can't look at it through a presentist lens, right? Mm -hmm. Where we're looking at through our terminology. Because you would have said, like, out of the closet back then. Like, what are you talking about? What closet? (laughs) What? But in our terms and definitions, he was never out. He was this private, what we would say, closeted gay man. But it was known to his social circle at the time.
1: I know you said that he was never linked to any women. Was he linked to any men? No,
0: because he was extremely private. And, of course, he wouldn't have written this down, right? think that he probably would have been too fearful to write it down so there's nothing really that we can look at in terms of hard evidence except there is perhaps a slight bit of small evidence that his father Alonzo knew of his son's sexuality or at least had an inkling at least had a little clue so if you go to the Herndon home you can visit the archives and you can read letters right and Alonzo and Norris exchanged lots of letters and you could read them and in one letter Alonzo writes to his son, I had been warning you about getting too many shows, by which he means theater shows. Oh, okay. Like plays and other frivolities in your head. Now quit everything, but something that pertains to your lessons and try and get yourself together. And this is quite cryptic, really. And it's really open to interpretation. But I think if we look at it f- you know, from the back, looking back if you look at it from the end looking back mm-hmm. i think we could maybe kind of pick up some signals here that Alonso was clued in right he was he wasn't clueless mm-hmm. he kind of knew and what sticks out to me is frivolities <laughs> this love of the theater mm-hmm. and this quote get yourself together you know these kind of stuck out to me where Alonso, you know maybe one he didn't want to say the thing out loud right mm-hmm. he didn't want to write that down for mm-hmm. sure But also going back to our idea of don't look through our presentist lens, the idea or the word homosexual probably wasn't in his vocabulary. Yeah. But I think he knew something was different, right, yeah. about Norris. And I think he's encouraging him to
1: quote-unquote quit that. Yeah, yeah, quit it.
0: Get your act together. <laughs> yeah. And so I think this implanted in Norris's head, you know, to be very private, yeah. right? And maybe it's okay if you're a lifelong bachelor, but don't talk about being openly gay. You know, certainly don't have a partner. Sure. Just kind of keep it private. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So Norris never really, he well, he never did marry. And he was always this very mysterious and elusive person. It
1: makes me sad I hope that, I mean, I'm sure he felt very lonely and isolated, but mm-hmm. my hope, and I, I know probably a bunch of that was his choice, maybe based on his personality. He might have been an introvert and not wanted that, but it makes me sad, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I understand that back in the day that it was not accepted, but it makes me sad. Like, what if he had wanted that connection and he didn't get it? And how lonely
0: did he feel? You know? Well, at least he had lots of money.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: <laughs> maybe he slept <laughs> in a pile of cash.
1: Which, by the way, did he live in that home? As well that you showed yeah,
0: me? Yeah, he okay. lives in the home. And that's really the story of Alonzo and Norris. But of course, I have an epilogue.
1: Oh, okay. The best part. We have Great. an
0: epilogue. We already know what happened to Adrian, the mom, and who unfortunately died of Addison's disease, the theater professor. We know she died. So what happened to Alonzo? So after Adrian died, he married a lady named Jessie Gillespie. Great name.
1: That name is so familiar.
0: <laughs> well, it kind of sounds like anyone you'd know, right? Like someone you went to college with, someone you work with, Jessie Gillespie. Okay. She was a hairdresser, right? Okay. So so you know, natural point of connection. He yeah. was he's hard as a barber. She was a hairdresser. So she w- married Alonzo after Adrian died. She kind of became a stepmom to Norris. Alonzo died in 1927, and if you read the papers of the time, he was really eulogized as one of Atlanta's most successful businessmen, which mm-hmm. is true. He really was. Mm-hmm. Norris, the son, lived until 1977. Wow. Yeah, so quite recent. Yeah. He died at home of a heart attack, unfortunately. He was 79, almost 80. hmm So that's what happened to the people. What happened to the things and places? Atlanta Life Insurance Company, Happy News, still exists.
1: Oh, really? Yeah,
0: it's still around. It's in the famous 191 building, as they call it, in downtown Atlanta. Still thriving. And here we go. My favorite part would happen to the house. The house is still there, still in Vine City. And you can visit it and you can take tours. You can read letters in the archives. You can take a tour. It's run by the Herndon Foundation, which supports entrepreneurs and young entrepreneurs, particularly. Rock on. And I really encourage our listeners to visit the house, take a tour, read the letters, and just learn more about the Herndon legacy.
1: That's really interesting. And especially that the house is still there and now is like kind of a center for entrepreneurship and history.
0: Yeah. Very cool. If you go, let us know what you think.
1: I guess that's it. Snip, snip.